ladies and gentlemen, Greg Shaker. Hyundai. 
It was a PC clone, they called it at the time. No hardware, just two dual-disc floppy drives, the real floppy ones, the ones that are five and a quarter inch. I don't even think you can find those in a museum But my programming experience was limited to Fortran 77. Now, the reason for Fortran is because I was in the engineering field, and that was very useful for very uh, fine um, mathematical uh, computations. But I was working at fast food, I worked at Burger King, I worked at a diner for a bit, and I saw that the university's computing center was looking for part-time student assistants to work on their computer network. I'm like, yay, I don't know what you do there, but I'll, I'll apply, because you got to be better than working at Burger King. And I applied, and the person that I applied, he was a former drill instructor in the Marines. Now, I won't say former Marine, but a former drill instructor. He wasn't doing too much for drill instructor. I guess he did, although he still had that, that attitude. But he told me, he said, if you can follow a TO, a technical reporter, to, to fix airplanes, then you can fix networks. So that's how I got started working as a part-time student assistant. Now, it was great working at University of Buffalo at the time, multi-protocol network. Again, I am kind of seasoned, I think is the word I want to use. I had been around for a while back then. We didn't have twisted pair of Ethernet. We did have the beginnings of Ethernet. We had um, ThickNet, they called it, which was basically a thick coax cable that you would run up a closet stack in a vertical building. That's why it's called backbone, because it resembles a backbone. If you ever wonder why we're talking about backbone, this is networking. And you would connect to that with what they call transceivers. They had vampire tap that should kind of just tap right into the thing. And then from there, you could run whatever device you had. It, 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 yeah, we had um, BinNet, which was two megahertz per second. From there, to the client workstations with little peak connectors and probably things that you've never seen before. Now, a plan was really not to get into networking or IP at that time. It was just to have a good job at the university and to continue on with my mechanical engineering career. But I got to learn something. Now, I've got some books out on the table that's a, actually, um, we've written them, uh, primarily me, based on our experiences of being virtual CISOs over the last five years. So it's something that we give away to, uh, to folks usually in conferences and such. But I'm going to give away one every now and then. I'm going to ask a question. If you answer the question right, then uh, get a book. So my first question is, while I was at the University of Buffalo, that's when I got exposure to the first browser that I ever used. What was the first browser? Oh. Wait, what was it? No. 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 Okay, it was, it, it was links. Did anybody say links? You said links? Get a look. Sorry, you gotta get up, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, links was actually a, a non-graphical browser. It was the first HTTP communication device, I guess, if you will, uh, with an image. And to the point, too, it was like, that's when I first started working on Linux. So we didn't have packages at the time. I compiled a kernel. Um, but, but it was so cool. It's 
not practical, it's just yes. You could actually like choose something and would go somewhere else. She's like, wow. Now, from then, I continued to take courses, but I really, really like the networking stuff. And also, my engineering career kind of hit the speed of this way. The job that I thought I was going to get, where I was an intern for about a year, they eliminated the position, and then, you know, okay, I don't have a job right now. And so I didn't have a backup at the time. But I continued at the University of Buffalo and decided, okay, I got my bachelor's, I'll continue um, in the electrical engineering field, and I was working at the university at that one time full time. They, they said, well, if you want to continue your studies, we'll do full time. There for a couple of years, really enjoyed it, it really got into it because I realized then it's like, I really love the networking aspect of it, and, but I, I want to do more of the design work. And so I wanted to become a network engineer. And I went on Monsters. Monsters still exist as a job site. Okay, well, it existed back then too. And so thank you, Monster. Monster brought me down here to Tennessee. I got a job at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, at a hospital there. But I told a buddy of mine, I didn't know anything about college. And when I told a buddy of mine in New York that I was going to go work for UT in Knoxville, he said, I'll be a big volunteer. I had no idea what he was talking about. So I learned, I learned. Now, he had to learn some more lessons with regards to networking back then. Now, a friend of mine, colleague of mine, and yes, it was a colleague of mine, it wasn't me, uh, at the university, he, he was configuring a network interface. So we had a back home with three brothers and all that. Um, and he was, he, he, he was more of a, more of a Nobel person at the time. He was learning the IP side. He did a great job configuring the interface. Did it perfectly. Wrong route. Took down surgery. Now, back then, that wasn't too bad because it wasn't that dependent on networking at the time. It wasn't as if they were literally life and death. But still, it was not the best thing to do. Learned a lot about PNS back then. But then I thought that I was ready to leave a network team on my own. And that led me to Middle Tennessee. Murfreesboro. I was at Middle Tennessee State for 12 years, which is a long time to be in one place. And it's been about as long that I've been gone at Middle Tennessee State. So, and went through some level of progression there. I didn't intend to be there 12 years. My, my whole deal was what I wanted to do is that Middle Tennessee had a, a flat neck. If you know, if you're in network, you probably understand what that means. Basically, it wasn't subdivided at all. 3,000 nodes, broadcast storms out the wazoo. We didn't have really a switch environment. Everything was still public at the time. And so, performance was bad. I figured, okay, I'm going to come in like Superman, and I'm going to go ahead and solve the network problem. Probably take me about three years to get that all working, to slowly move folks off this one huge slash 16 subnet onto all these slash 24s. And finally get to the point where, okay, I got this up, there's my resume, maybe go somewhere else to come to Seattle. That's kind of like I was saying. But I loved it too much. Working in a college environment, by the way, is just absolutely fabulous. Most of the time. Until peer-to-peer file share came about. Now here's another book question. Does anybody know what the first peer-to-peer, -peer, the first, I guess, ubiquitous peer-to-peer file sharing 
um, system was answer, book, if you want. Thank you, yes, answer. And so the students, they, they, a lot of times people would go into college at the time because that's when you get your high school year. I think it's not to put that, but back then it was like, ooh, you know, straight from so I'm going to actually be the the tour. I'm going to be able to share all this stuff. And that was my introduction to security. Because not from a confidentiality or an integrity standpoint, but from an availability, they were killing our network with all these downloads. Never mind the copyright notice problems that we had and all that. And, and I implemented the first firewall there. And ended up with, the way that actually worked is that you had to actually go, it wasn't true peer to peer, you had to go to a, a central, I guess you would call it a CC, a command control box. That then was, you know, gets you to the place that you wanted to go. Uh, and I redirected that to our central use page. I, I, was, I was not exactly the uh, most popular person at Bill at that time. Anyway, continuing on through Bill, but during this time, I also started signing it. And this kind of started by evaluating my consulting side. And that was writing for Beautiful. And if you go out there, if you Google Shaper Beautiful, you probably still find my articles from 2006 to 2009. I think my last one was uh, a whole slew of my resume advice that probably some of it still holds true today. Might want to check that out. Might not. But I went through a progression at PSU, and I think you should always be progressing in, in your career. As, as um, Steve said, it's always a learning process. I am always learning. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the analytics now. So it's like, hey, you know, I'm doing something that's relatively new, but Linux again been around for a long time. Um, and I was went from network manager, director of network services, to associate, no, assistant vice president for network and information technology security. I mean, through business first for them. And it was a great career path, but then I felt like I could still do more. I always had that. Urge to want to do a little more. And about this time, uh, Metro National, Davis County, they were looking to hire their first CISO, and I took that position. And that was a good position to have at the time. It was uh, a, a, an opportunity to lead and to implement a security program. And I love a lot of aspects of it. It is so cool. We had roughly 55 departments and agencies. Some were appointed, some were elected. Had a little bit of a challenge working with those that were elected. Um, but it was a lot of good stuff, and there was some stuff that I would say to me wasn't too good. That's probably the first lesson that I'm going to say here is that sometimes you might come across, and I think everybody should have this experience once, when you come across a job that you realize shortly when you're into it that this is not the right thing. And I was at Metro for 15 months. Three months into it, I was already starting to work. And eventually, the land that I had, First Bank, you probably know the First Bank, if there's a big presence here in Tennessee, used to have their, uh, their headquarters out west of Tennessee, used to go there every Tuesday, but then they moved their headquarters to Nashville, and then they went to IPO, and now they've become huge, and I understand now the Vanderbilt's football stadium is like First Bank stadiums. Wow, why didn't they do that for NTSU? But anyway, I would have loved that. But I'm learning it. I'm at a bank that up until this time, all my paychecks have been government paychecks. I've never been in the private sector. 
never been in an unregulated industry like banking. But it was scary, and I learned, and that was another scratch for me. And at this point in time, another thing happened too, between that and Metro, is that I started to become more exposed to the whole information security community in the national area. If you're, if you're not involved with the broader community, I mean, I love the fact that I see a lot of like, people in the early stages of their career here. I'm like, that's awesome. I wish I had done that when I was at your stage. Do not discount networking. It is the most important thing that you can do in your career. I'm not talking to you networking, I'm talking to people in the car. It's so important. It's so important. And that first time for a while ended up being about five and a half years. About five years in, started to get, uh, rather, I, I, I got the urge to do maybe a little bit of consulting. Remember, I, I've done a little bit of the writing and some other little side things I had. And I queried a couple of folks that offered virtual season services. Just, they, weren't, they weren't looking for folks, but I queried two. One I never heard from, the other one said, hey, you know, I just got a new company. And, you know, I could use some, some help on my whole, you know, how many hours? You know, just like, you know, five hours a week or something, you know, $84,000 per month. I'm like, whoa, I like that. And so I started to go down that path, and I'm being mentored now by someone who's actually in the field, which is great. That led to another client, and another client, not all the same, right? But by the time I got to summer of 2017, I'm working three clients through him, and I'm still working with him, by the way. I just, I, I, I have two. I hope on two clients only because I have so much respect and loyalty But I, I realized in 2017, in the middle of summer, it's like, you know what? I think I might not need to do this. The reason why I realized is I got a little tap on my shoulder. Now, for me, this is God like for me. God told me, look, you're doing good with the talents you have. I think you can do a little bit better. And I'm like, that's great. I like to eat. I don't know if this is going to work. I always had a paycheck coming from somebody else, but it's always the best thing to say yes to God. And I did. All I wanted to do was earn $60,000 a year. I did a risk, a risk assessment, financial risk assessment. That's all I wanted to do. Well, now that I want to do CISO services, beyond that, um, have six other folks right now, one of three. We have clients all over the United States, we have one out in the Caribbean. And we've been growing year over year over year. It's just been a fabulous, a fabulous experience because it also gives the opportunity to share knowledge. Hence, that's where the book came from. So that's what I'm about to walk down my path here. Now, does this look familiar to anybody? The left and the right. Let's start with the left. So I hear this. Who knows what the OSI model is? Heard it. Okay, this is not a book cross, but a shout out. What's, what's layer A? I heard a lot of things that I couldn't hear what they said, but I didn't know what I was talking about. I'll say it's political. So, but um, when I was at the University of Buffalo, this is why I went through that whole little walk out memory lane for me, I had to work with some cool stuff. Now, you guys, um, here, I'll, I'll ask you this is a book question. What is, it's so hard to see, I apologize, but you might be able to figure it out. On the right hand side, it's the right. On the right hand side, what is that picture? Okay. A lot of you said that. If you want to raise the 
Um, if not, that's that's cool. Yeah, that's Wireshark. Well, Wireshark actually came from Ethereal, which came from um, I don't remember where that came from. But but prior to that, at least from my experience, use TCP dump in Linux. You probably are familiar with that, right? Uh, as a as a packet tracer, uh, sticker. That's what I refer to as. I don't like I guess you call it DAP, but I don't know. It's kind of been a little politicized over the last couple of years too. But the first sniffer I worked with, now mind you, I'm like a, I'm like a 20 year old student here at the University of Buffalo. We had this big, level computer in the network here. It's called the Network General Center. It cost like 16 grand. And yet they would let me earn it like at the time, like seven bucks an hour, which was awesome, by the way. Maybe it is a little less, I don't know. But it was the experience that counted. But I'm using this hugely expensive piece of equipment to hide those internet networks. Now, whether it be twisted uh, internet or we did migrate eventually to twisted hair, I'm learning at that point in time that, that how hackers are constructed, how the OSI model works, you know, how to troubleshoot. We, we didn't have terms like red team, blue team, and purple team, and red squad leader, and whatever. We had, we had one term, it was called troubleshooting. And so we just said it was troubleshooting. Now I would gather that probably today, all of your information security and cybersecurity, whatever you want to call it, probably are familiar with using stickers. Is that fair to say? So, so the lesson here is that, and maybe I'm, this is kind of a little self-serving for me too, is that that which seems old from 30 years ago up here is still relevant today. Yeah. Another story from back then with a lesson associated with it, oh, this is my old disc. I was going to do a book question and say, you well, know, can someone identify what that thing is? And I think that was just kind of too silly. Um, I was going to ask if you knew what the size of this was, but I thought that was too silly too. So it was, a, you know, it was an advanced copy, I guess, at the time, 1.44 megabytes. Well, I was studying the student at the University of Buffalo. We had LANs set up, local area networks set up in areas where all that they were doing was that they were just using a server. They didn't have any sort of internet access. Well, I already learned a little bit of my uh, networking through working at the uh, university and knew a little bit about how to build drivers and machines. Now, computers back then did not come with PCPIP stack or it, it didn't exist. Windows did not have an Android. This is Windows 3.1, I think, 8.3.1. But, um, they didn't have the IP stack or the database. And so these machines, they were just really part of a Novell network running IPX. And book question, can anyone tell me what IPX stands for? Yes, book, I heard it from somewhere over there. This is uh, internet, wait, did you say internet or internet network? Okay, okay, yes. Book if you want. That is what Novell used as far as protocols. I mean, you know, you have everything's IP nowadays. But back then, it truly was multi-protocol networks. You had to learn more and more about all these different different things. And you had to learn how to configure them on machines. But anyway, get back to the story. 
So you have this land here. And a lot of times, I go to the university libraries and I got to get on the internet. This point in time, yes, the internet graphical browsers, mosaic, um, to, to go surf the net and go find stuff. But they're always like, they're always crowded. And, but the land part, usually there's always like several machines of I created what I call my old disk. My old disk was basically had a batch file on it that I ran, had loaded virus on it, loaded the IP, IP stack. I chose an IP address. I don't think I had confidence too much. But then I got on the internet and people were like, well, I said, how did you do this? And I'm like, dude, it's my old disk, man. It's like, how did I get that? And I thought I wanted, I always wanted to modify it, but I'm like, nah, that would probably be unethical. But it may be, in a sense, maybe in a sense, the, the, um, just by doing that in the lab is a little unethical. I don't know, maybe you call it happy, maybe you wouldn't, but I was able to go and get my work done, no harm, no doubt, the way the boss would see on the land there. The lesson from this particular story is, is that I worked harder to avoid working hard. Now, as a corollary to that, another example is we had a, um, we have a lot of networks at the university. It's very difficult to imagine that Ethernet was not the primary network there. It was mainly serial connections um, on phone lines and went to various either direct connections to controllers or multiplexers, or sometimes um, they would go to what they call nodes at the time for uh, networking technology called DCA. Uh, I can't remember what it stands for. Now, I was in support. This is, this is when I'm working full time. And I had a page every now and then, day and night. Um, some of you may know what a pager is. That's basically an annoying little thing to have to take with you 24 hours a day. And I have to drive to the university and reset one of these DCA notes because they won't equip and they won't always go down. But I came up with an idea on how to do a backend through the Kaya Club. You know, we connect back to the Kaya Club all those. That sort of stuff, and very, very slow, but it still worked. I mean, that's why I got my Hyundai computer because I didn't need the disk drives, I didn't need the hard drive, I just needed to get to the university network. And so I used my Hyundai computer through this backdoor that I put in in order to be able to get to the PCA nodes in order to reboot it so that I could do this while I had the beer and I had the drive. And it was wonderful. And again, the lesson here from this little uh, um, takeaway from this little story is that if you, if you work harder to avoid working harder, if you put proper policies and procedures in place, this is so important in cybersecurity and information security, if you do that on the front end, you put so, you put so much effort on the governance part of it, so then on the back end, you're not having to deal with breaches and such. I was going to call this one the glory days, but I figured that would, A, make me sound too old, and since it's an old Bruce Springsteen song from what, 38 years ago? That would also make me sound old. So I do a good job being old on my own. So we'll call it the early days. And trying to give you an idea that I've been out about the late 90s for life. I've talked a little bit about the, um, the, um, the environment, I've talked a little bit about the Lorel network back then. Um, so, one other question about the Bell Networks. Um, what, what, is, uh, what does CNE stand for? Does anybody remember? Both. Did you already get one? No. Oh, okay. 
Oh, okay, okay. I knew there was something from over there. Were you a CD? Yes, a CNA. I have back to an A. Okay, well, that's still uh, 311, 312. Okay, me too. Watch the camera. I have a beer that I can't believe about Yeah, so, so, uh, Noel, uh, at once in time, uh, and, and we had an issue with interoperability. He doesn't like the neighbor things are right plug and play. You expect that when you buy a switch, no matter where it's from, unless it's like, you know, a Cisco that's like actually made like in China is not. But you expect that network and plug is going to work together. But that, 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 then that wasn't the case. And so the best conference in the world, I think, at the time, was something called Interop. It was in Las Vegas. That's part of what made it the best conference in the world. That got me to Vegas. On the state's guide, whether it be, well, I guess it could have all Tennessee because um, that's, that's where I was working when I first went to, to Vegas. And it was there that I got my first really cool certification. Now, certifications were just starting to become more popular. So I, I had a Cisco certification, I obviously had a CNE, um, and I think I was actually a CNA as well before I didn't go to the school. But there was a group called Pine Mountain, and they had the first widely recognized vendor agnostic training. It was absolutely fabulous. I'm, I'm so upset to this day that for whatever reason, um, Bill Alderson, he folded it or he moved on to something else, but it was just absolutely fabulous. But something else started to happen towards the end of that decade as well, and that's when boot camps started. First of all, as a former military, I, I, I don't really like the term, I don't like um, repurposing military terms sometimes, particularly when we talk about like, going to war. It's like, war is a really bad thing, okay? And I prefer to not be used in kind of like just rough statements, but in any case, they call these boot camps. So they still have a fit. You go, and, and so he was talking about this to an extent as far as training goes. You go, you, you go through courses for five days, you come out with a certification, and people would get these certifications left and right. But they were finding out that people really didn't know what to do with it. We call them paper papers. So, what I would do, and this is now what I'm at MTSU, is because um, that's when I first got to the point of actually hiring people, I would ask questions that would test for a client. So here's, here's an example. It would be a two-tier question. Uh, the first question would be, what application is TC port, TCP port 23 assigned to? Most of you will be able to say it's not a good question, but very good. And then the next question is, and because of the emphasis on security now, we had a school back 20 years ago, now it's probably more obvious. But the next question would be, why should you not allow telnet inbound to your firewall? Exactly, exactly. But a lot of times people could answer that. They would, they would stammer, they would be like, ah, I'm not sure, or um, they would sometimes try, try to fudge the answer. Only give those who are starting out, any of those who are moving up in their career right now, don't do that in the interview. The person who's asking you the question knows the answer to the question. And if you stammer through it, the best thing to say is like, you know what? I don't know, I know how to look that up, or I shouldn't have let them forget you, I'm nervous in the interview. That's cool, you show them you're human, because nobody remembers everything. 
I mean, that's why we have those technical orders back when I was in the Air Force, for example, so that we had to do everything exactly by what was in that technical order. You could not put it aside and say, oh, I don't remember how to do this, because you get in trouble, but the enemy also potentially did something. So the lesson for this, and I'm really building on something that Steve said, is certifications are the beginning, not the end. Okay, the beginning of learning. And I'm also going to go on down a little corollary here because there's a big amount of discussion on, particularly on LinkedIn, about uh, do you need certs or a degree to get into cyber and all of that? And, and no, but you need to work. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just, just a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Back. I was hoping it would go away again. It didn't. Um, so cyber is here to stay, which is why I, 
I call this the secret to success in cybersecurity and said information security, which is really what I wanted to say. Most of you probably like hearing cyber regular. The, the lesson from this story is that you need to be sure that when you're communicating, that both sides understand exactly the terminology you're using. And it's not just cyber versus info, it's anything that you're doing. And it's so critical when you're trying to solve something because, and, and particularly, some of you may end up working for companies that have international crisis, and there can be an awful lot of confusion. And even in the United States, here in the States, some people say CISO, some people say CISO, some people say CISO. I think CISO is more Australian than I like CISO, so. The camera that covered the window, the 
the security camera that he was going. The security guard was walking around the area doing their patrol. For whatever reason, at the time that the laptop was stolen, the security guard should have been there, but wasn't there. Then the laptop was unencrypted. So those controls fail. That was one other method, and this is a huge and important thing. It's a question. I guess it's the last one because we're going to go left with it. Who can who can guess what the last control failure was? No. No. It's not technical. Hmm? I, I, I'm hearing things, but I don't think I'm hearing the right answer. So I'll, if, if I say it and you say, oh no, I said that, then I'll be able. Um, there was no business reason for that information to be on live. None whatsoever. Somebody did this for convenience. Now, information security is all about securing information, it's about risk management. And if you have information that you're storing somewhere that you have no business need to store, you are accepting risk without any reward. So all this stuff that Metro had to go through, including hired me, they might not have had to have gone through if they had just addressed maybe one or two of these controls, but certainly if the information was not there, no exposure. And so that's really the lesson, the main lesson there. The alternate lesson is that you always want to do a defensive bit. Don't rely on one primary control. Use compensating controls. Because ultimately, a lot of times you know, we have auditors come in and they say, well, you, you're not running that cash access control, so you can never saw it. But if you can prove that you have four or five other controls in place um, that mitigate that risk, then you've done what you're supposed to do, which is mitigate the risk. It's not satisfying the auditor's one line thing. That's part of what I do as a virtual CISO is that I act as that transfer. All right, last story. Pretty sure this is the last story. I'm not going to read this because we do not have time to read this. But this was actually the second last story. I'm going to do this fast. On LinkedIn, there was a bad advice posted. And basically, again, I'm not reading this, but this person said, hey, and, and first of all, I want to emphasize that I have no reason to doubt this person's heart was in the right place. But this was just horrible. They basically said, to summarize, begin with cybersecurity. This is all you need to do. Just put on your LinkedIn profile that you're a virtual CISO. And then you can start getting gigs working for small mom and pop businesses, even for both of And you can use that opportunity to tune your, your, your methodology. And, and then eventually you will be a virtual CISO, you'll be a CISO. Well, first of all, as someone who became a virtual CISO based on years and years of experience, I found that offensive. But unfortunately, the industry right now has a lot of virtual CISOs that do not have this management experience. But there are two big risks here. The first one is the business. Because if you have someone who doesn't understand risk management, giving risk management advice, the business could end up in a much worse area than what they were before, and not even realizing. The second is that if you took this advice and you put that on there, you, 
could it be? The question is basically asking you to lie. And it takes a long time to build up a reputation. You can lose it real fast. Don't lie. That's why I think the CIS is key. They go to bed. This is so important. And I know I'm getting short on time, but I do want to talk about this person for a second. This is a stick figure. You can probably tell. You're probably wondering why did I have to go to WikiHow to get a stick figure? Why didn't I just draw one? Well, originally it was a placeholder, and I decided I was going to draw one. But first of all, I got lazy. But second of all, I thought it was so funny that WikiHow must actually have an entry on how to draw a stick figure. So I didn't look it up, but I did there. I want you to do a thought experiment. We don't have time to actually demonstrate this, but you can do this at home. Consider that. So this person, this little stick figure is on, on a piece of paper. It's two-dimensional, right? And that's all the person knows. Knows length and width. Alright? And then, and I can kind of demonstrate here, you can kind of see the person here. Oh my finger over it, and it makes a shadow, right? Now to the little stick figure, they have no idea what's going on. They see this blob, which is just like coming and going out of nowhere. It's freaking them out. But if they're smart enough through mathematics and through intuitive thinking, they might think, you know what? Maybe there's a third dimension. Maybe if there was a third dimension, then maybe what we see is a result of that third dimension, some way, shape, or form. And then they write up equations, and you know what? It satisfies the equation, and they have actually discovered another dimension. Well, we do that today. They say that there's multiple dimensions, and they can prove it mathematically, um, but we can't see it because we have three-dimensional beings. But we can infer other dimensions based on things that we can see. Now, in cybersecurity, we don't often see the effects of intrusion. At least not directly. I remember reading to us too that there was a worm called Slammers in early 2003. Totally gone down the metal, not totally, but it was going to the point of breaking down the metal. And you know, we had power supplies. I had to my whole second thing by that point. You know, I was on, on five years of my career and loving there. And I'm like, this is easy. I'll just make sales on the routers. I, I sniffed it. I could figure out source destination. I'll have to sniff it. Um, there were a lot of things to, to, to try to fly. I don't remember the exact details about it, but the point being is that I tried on the routers and it just made it worse. What the heck is going on And what I inferred is that what was going on is that there were so many attempts to set up multiple routes. Because remember, routers are stable. They're keeping route tables in there. And so when each one coming in, I turned up new CPU cycles. By the time, there was uh, there was a whole network company called Cable They eventually wanted to do Keras's, and I don't remember where they went from there. But Cable back in the 90s, it created something called a smart switch, particularly a smart switch 2200. Way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. Long story short, I was able to use that to put in the ACL. So since it's a switch on a router, as you all know, you can draw the old side model. Um, it's not going to keep wraps, it doesn't care. And they know MPSC is going to be Now, if I remember correctly, there was a sister school to the rest of us that had some serious problems for a few days, but we never went through. 
So the lesson here is that use your skills to infer what the problem may be. You, you may not be able to directly see it. And you know what, business? You don't have the luxury to do that. You can't get to the point of being 100% sure of something. Remember what I said, information security, or cyber is a component of that, is about risk management. So what is the secret to success in cybersecurity? You've waited for about 54 minutes of deep battling to tell you about. Uh, you know, my hope is that by sharing my story, that you learn maybe something, not because you learn something directly, but because you see something in the stories that I told that maybe you can apply, maybe not again directly, but you can infer from the stories that I told. Things that will help you in your career. And it's the story though, which we get back to the beginning of this talk, is like, why I do virtual see so Hearing other people's stories is just wonderful. And I'm so blessed to be in a position right now where I can actually get their stories out. Because ultimately, that's how we all learn. It's not through the It's not just through hands-on and all that. It's from collaboration. It's from serving others and letting them serve you. Serving business, serving your community. I think I look back at my career, and again, I'm not done, but I'm, I'm getting closer. And the titles, they're cool. The salary is cool. But the times when I really truly made a difference, those are the things I remember. Those are the things that I carry cool. And that's why my little firm, VCs of Services, is thrived. Because we keep that at the forefront. It's our manager. And I'm so passionate about it. So at least in my eyes, my mind, the secret to success in cybersecurity is that if you have a hard enough you will always be successful. Thank you.